great to be here uh, with you today. I'm so excited about this series that Pastor Doug is leading you through about listen, listening to God. Um, for so many people, they have a hard time with this concept that they could hear from God. Can I just share a couple observations at the, at the outset, and then we'll get into our passage. How could a God who longs to be in a personal relationship with you, how could a God who longs to do that not communicate to you? A personal relationship is one where there's communication going on. So the Hebrew word for listen or to hear is called shema. And for us, in our Western minds, the word to listen means to capture what's being communicated. But for the Hebrew mind in the text, uh, in the context of this idea to hear, means to receive a message and change everything you are because of it. That's what the word hear means when God says, hear, O Israel, listen to me and then respond to what I speak by changing who you are or your motives, your agenda, right? And so that's this idea of listening to God. It's something we're not just hearing, but we're responding. We're connecting to that truth. I want to share with you that you're designed to hear God's voice. In John 10, verse 27, it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You're designed to hear God's voice. You can hear God's voice and uh, grow in your ability to hear. Uh, some of us guys have trouble listening to our wives. We have selective hearing, especially when there's a game on. All you ladies are rejoicing today because Denver has a bye. Uh, they won't lose, folks. Uh, they're on by today. Well, what we want to do is grow in our ability to hear God. And for some of you, here's something that you could try. Um, get your Bible and tr just try this for five days this week. Open up a gospel story or a, a message in the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and get a notebook. And before you read, just simply say, Holy Spirit, speak to me, and then write down what he says, okay? Write down how it applies to you. There's the normal exegesis, what this means, and you can, you can delve into all of that. But what are you personally saying to me through this scripture text? And if you start doing that, you're going to begin to tune, your you tune into the frequency of heaven, and, and it'll help you begin to hear God's voice in other ways. So we're going to jump into a story today out of the Old Testament. And at the outset, I want to share with you that this story is a true story. It actually happened. There's a, a move in culture today to kind of write off uh, parts of the Bible and say, these are just parables. They aren't really for real. They're just stories that are made up. I really believe this story is true, and a lot of it is connected to what Jesus says about the story that we're going to look at. It's found in Matthew chapter 12, and here's what Jesus says about this Old Testament story. Verse 38. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want, to show, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh 
will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here. But you refuse to repent. Why in the world would Jesus say that the people who repented from this story in the Old Testament would be in heaven on judgment day if it was just a story, right? Jesus is connecting with this event and showing how the period of time Jonah's in the belly of the whale, that equates with a time of death. I, was, uh, I got a chance to go to Rome and walk through some of the catacombs there, and our brothers and sisters from the first century actually paint the, the picture of Jonah and the whale on the walls of the catacomb. For them, this is a picture of resurrection, and it built hope in them when they were uh, saying goodbye to loved ones. So this is a story that connects with our tradition and goes way back and has a ton of meaning. Now, in order to get the full context of the passage, because as a kid, I, and you've all heard this story, as a kid, when I would hear this story, I would think, man, that Jonah's a mean guy to not want to go to Nineveh. So we have to know the context behind that. Why was Jonah so frustrated with the people of Nineveh? And so here are a couple of photos. Let's walk through this culturally and then jump into the text. Here are some pictures. These are the walls that were rebuilt in Nineveh. Now, uh, these walls have been torn down uh, over the last several years, and we, we can't see them anymore, so this picture is quite old. But when we do archaeology and discovery of this, the walls of Nineveh were 12 kilometers in length around, so it was a massive city. There was one layer of the wall that was 20 feet high made of solid stone. On top of that was another 33 feet of mud brick, and it was 49 feet thick. This was huge, and there was no way you were taking these dudes out, right? They built towers that were 60 feet high at every 18-foot integrals along the wall. So this was a huge, huge city, powerful city. It was the center of power for that day. Here's a picture of King Sargon. He was the one who kind of initiated the whole Assyrian Empire. And uh, it's like a, a bronze uh, picture of him. There are some people who say this is Nimrod from Genesis 10. So it, it could, it's directly connected to that in the, in the Old Testament. Um, here is a reconstruction of the gates of the city of Nineveh. You can see how massively tall they are. These are in the British Museum in London, and those two guys on the right are my boys. I thought I would throw them in there for you. Um, and you can see how big it is. What they discovered were the, the metal pieces that go across, and then they added the wood to recreate what the gates would have looked like. Now, the city, here's the, the last king of Assyria before the empire falls, and you'll notice those uh, little things, the symbols on the top, they represent the deities for the empire of Assyria that were protecting and empowering that king. If we go to the next page, you'll see how they decorated uh, the, the next picture. They, they decorated their palace with the winged bull. That was the symbol of the Syrian empire. And uh, here's a picture of me in front of that. So you can kind of see the size of what it would have looked like. So this, this was a massive empire that was really powerful. Now, they decorated... It's going to start getting rough, so I apologize to the kids, okay? Um, they decorated their palace, 
with representations of what their army did to their victims that they conquered. This one we're allowed to show in church. It's they're enslaving the people group, and you can see their combat. Uh, here's what they would do. They would cut off limbs of the people they conquered in order to have them being a walking reminder of their terror. They would also gouge out the right eye of everyone in a city and make them their slaves, or they would kill them. You had a choice. You'd either lose your right eye and become a slave to the Syrian empire or die. And people would line up, okay? They would also take the conquering king of, uh, of kingdoms that they conquered. They would fillet him alive pull the skin off his body while he was still alive, and then nail it to the wall of the city to terrorize people. Now you have an idea why Jonah didn't really like the Ninevites, okay? That's what they were like. So the story starts with God coming to Jonah and saying, Jonah I want you to go to Nineveh and warn them because they're going to be destroyed. Their wickedness has come up to me, and it's done. And what we're going to see through this passage is how God speaks. God speaks directly, and he also speaks through circumstances and situations, all right? So here's a quick summary of the story. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and to warn these people and Jonah gets in a boat and goes the exact opposite direction. He should have gone east to Nineveh. It's present-day Mosul, okay? Some of you in the armed forces might have been in Mosul in recent years. That's where it's located, okay? He goes towards Spain, people. I mean, the opposite direction. A storm comes, and the sailors who've seen the ocean realize they're about to die. So they cast lots to see whose fault it is. And the lot falls to Jonah, who's asleep in the boat. They're like, hey, where are you from? What did you do? Who's your God? Who did you offend? Everybody surrounded him with all these questions. They ask him, what can we do to stop the storm? He says, throw me overboard. They don't want to do that. So they row like crazy to try and get that boat back to shore, and they can't do it. So they toss Jonah overboard. The sea is immediately calm, and a giant fish comes and swallows him. And they're like, every single one of those guys, the Bible says, they make vows to God and begin following Yahweh God, right? Jonah said, my God is the one who made the land in the sea. So here's Jonah in this fish, swashing around with... Uh, hydrochloric acid or whatever, stomach acid of a fish, and every time the fish moves, he bangs against the rib cage, and he cries out to God. It's one of the greatest prayers that you can read in all of scripture. It's a lot of psalms all taken apart and pieced together to make a beautiful cry for help. How many of you like to cry to God for help? When you need God's help, read Jonah chapter two. It's beautiful. God hears him and uh, causes the fish to spit him out on dry ground, and then the voice of God comes a second time, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, some of us want to hear and have this incredible connection with God to hear his voice, but all you're hearing is the same thing over and over again. It's because we're not obeying. God is gonna keep communicating to you the same thing, just like he did with Jonah. He's going to communicate to you the same thing over and over again until you start changing, until you start connecting with his message. 
So Jonah goes uh, to Nineveh, and this is hilarious. My, this is just my opinion. There's, a, uh, there's an incredible network of, of trade and commerce. And what do you think the sailors on the ship said when they got to port? You're not going to believe this story. So the story has a three-day uh, advantage on, on Jonah getting to Nineveh. So I think the story might have reached Nineveh. That's just what I think. I, I wouldn't write a book on it, but I think that's what wound up happening. And then here's this guy who shows up, and he gets his clothes dry cleaned, and it's got, you know, fish guts all over it, right? That, I, how would you like to pay that bill? That'd be terrible. But anyway, vomit and everything, it's totally gross. But he shows up in the city, and he has this profound message, Pastor Doug, that he worked all night on. And he, he came up with all these great illustrations to connect with this message that was going to rescue the city. He says, in 40 days, you're done. That was his sermon. I think still, he probably didn't say what God asked him to say. That's just my opinion. Uh, I don't think that's a very convincing message. Do you? I mean, would you respond to that? You're going to hell, basically is what he said to them. But they all repent. It's amazing. They repent. And the king, the highest, most powerful person in the world, issues a decree. No one's eaten in our city. No one. No one's going to eat. Not even the animals are going to eat. And we're going to go into sackcloth and ashes and we're going to cry out to this God and we're going to ask for forgiveness. Wouldn't it be great if our president got on the TV today and he said, <laughs> the United States of America is going to repent, right? These are the sins and we're going to cry out to God. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what happened. And God hears their heart. He sees their repentance. He sees them crying out to him, and he relents. We have a forgiving God. Isn't that great? He's forgiving. And so how does Jonah respond? He's ticked off. He is so upset. He says to God, I am so angry that I could just die. I told you when you asked me to go to Nineveh at the very beginning, I told you that you're a gracious, forgiving, compassionate God, and I knew you were going to let him off the hook, and look what you just did, right? And he's upset and angry with God. He gets his folding chair, his lawn chair, and he pulls it out of the city, and he sits down, and he's like, I'm going to watch. These people aren't for real. They're going to go back on their commitment, and they're roasted. I'm watching for the fire to come from heaven, right? That's what he's doing. In chapter 4, he's sitting there, and he's frustrated, and he's angry. So God causes a little plant to grow, right? And the plant grows, and it gives him shade. And he's like, man, I'm in with God. Cause this plant to grow. This is good. I have shade, right? He was frustrated. It was hot. It's a desert. Have you been to Mosul? Give me a break, right? So there he is. He's sitting there. And the next day, God causes a worm to come and to destroy the plant, so the plant withers and dies. It's there one day, and then it's gone the next, right? And he says to God, he, I mean, Jonah's got a little bit of an anger problem, right? Do you know people have an anger problem? <laughs> don't elbow them, please. Don't do that. But he's got an anger problem, and he, he says to God, I am so angry that this plant died, I could just die. I'm so angry, I just want my life to be over because this plant died. And God says to him, did you plant this plant? 
Did you water it? Did you care for it? Why, what right do you have to be angry? And shouldn't I care for the people in this great city of Nineveh? There's actually 120,000 people in the city who do not know their right from their left hand. Who doesn't know their right from their left hand? Little kids. There's just, uh, there's 120,000 just in that age group. Imagine the amount of people in the city. And then the book stops. It just stops right there. We don't know what Jonah said. We don't know if it affected his heart or brought change to him. Okay, so as we look at the whole book, we discover that God speaks directly. He says, go to Nineveh. He says it again, go to Nineveh. He says, what right do you have to be angry, right? And he says it again, why are you angry? He speaks directly to us. I believe that God speaks directly to you too. He speaks directly to me. Here's an example. My, my youngest boy, Ben, uh, when he was born, my wife had maternity leave, and uh, she was going back into her office. It was a train ride from Rockford, Illinois, to Chicago, and I got to stay with Ben. Now, here's, here's what you need to know. Ben had never eaten from a bottle, okay? So she hands me the bottle. She's like, I'm pretty sure you'll be okay. You're an amazing husband. I admire you. You're so awesome, right? You'll be able to take care of Ben. So I'm like, don't worry, hon. Nine o'clock comes, he doesn't take the bottle. 10 o'clock, doesn't take the bottle. He's crying, he's hungry, it's awful. He doesn't take the bottle. I'm thinking, I'm a horrible dad. I can't even feed my kid. What is wrong with me? What is gonna happen when she comes home? It's three o'clock and this kid still hasn't eaten, okay? I'm really frustrated. And when you're in the middle of a crisis, a lot of times you just want out of the crisis. And I should say this more often to God. We all should, I think. Here's what I said to God. What are you trying to teach me from this? Now, God talks to me very simply because I'm a little dense. Just uses a couple of words. And here's what he said. I try to feed you too. I was like... Thank you, God. I repent. You know, how many times do we push God away when he has life to pour into us? It's, it's in the scriptures. It's right there. And here God's saying, I try to feed you too. And then I said, okay, I get it. I'm sorry. I repent. I need you. Now what do I do? And here's what God said. Now I know a lot of you moms are going to think, what's wrong with you? But God told me to change the nipple on the bottle. And so I changed the nipple and boom, he started eating. So God speaks to us directly, and he does that in your life if you just tune in and if you just listen. The other thing is God communicates through action, through events and circumstance. God caused an incredible storm to come, right, over the ocean. He arranged for a fish to swallow him. He caused that same fish to vomit Jonah. Sorry, vomit's a bad word. Shouldn't use it in church. But vomit Jonah out onto the dry ground. He arranged for this leafy plant to grow and then causes a worm to come and eat it. Circumstances, God speaks through those too. 11 years ago, I was invited to come pastor a church in the Salt Lake City, Utah area. Now, I'm a Chicago guy, and um, Utah is very different from Chicago. Um, my house in Chicago, we had three uh, mosques, uh, 
two Hindu temples and a Jewish synagogue all within 15 minutes of my house. One Catholic church and one evangelical church. That was it. And in Utah, it's pretty much just one faith, right? So I was, I was like, God, you know, I'm not sure if this is really from you. And so I'm going to ask you to speak to me. I need to know for sure. So here's what I told God. I said, God, I am not going to ask my wife to give up her position, her work position, to move to Utah. I just won't do it. And so you're going to have to work something out, right? She's been a support to me. She's helped me in ministry all these years. And she really loves her job, the people she works with. It's a great company. I'm not going to ask her to do that. So she goes to her boss and she says to her boss, we are thinking about relocating to Salt Lake City, Utah. How would that affect my job? He said to her, well, do you still want to work for me? And she said, yes, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, it's, it's great. The boss said, okay, no one knows this yet, and you can't tell anyone, but we're moving our corporate headquarters to London, England. You would be working remotely for me anyway. I mean, this is 11, 12 years ago, guys. She said, and he, and her, her boss said, it's totally fine. You guys could move, and it wouldn't affect your job at all. So that's a sign, right? But you know me. Well, you don't know me, but now you will. I was like, that's not enough, God. I'm like the guy who throws the fleece out, right? That's not enough. You're going to have to really communicate to me. So I said, we have a house that probably won't sell. I am not moving unless you sell the house. And then he spoke to me directly. He said, well, you have to put it on the market. So, so we put the house on the market. The house sold for a full cash offer in two weeks. God was speaking, and not only that, we had a foreclosure home next to us. They could have been in the same neighborhood and paid 100000 less for the house, okay? So that was God saying, you need to go. And it's been 11 amazing years of how God moves, right? So God speaks to us directly into our life. He speaks to us through the circumstances and situations around us. And he also has a message that he wants to communicate. If all we had was the book of Jonah in scripture, we would know so much about God. That he's a God who sees. He's watching in the world and he cares about the world. He sees the pain. He sees the heartache and he will act. He will do something. He is not slow to act, but he has compassion and love. That's his care. We see a God who cares in this text. Should I not have concern for this great city? You don't. You hate them. You despise them, but I love them. See? God cares. He also puts on display that he's a God who rescues. All throughout the book, he's rescuing, he's saving, he's helping and he's a God who forgives. Don't you love that about God? Today, as we look at this text, maybe God could help us in our context. We don't have a Nineveh or a Syria, but what we have in our country today, it's more polarized than we could ever possibly imagine. And what God is calling us to do is to look at people who believe or think or act or look differently than us, and see them as created in God's image. 
as incredibly valuable to him. And what God's calling us to do is to reach into their life to bring them hope, right? To bring them peace. We just sang about that today, the hope of God. Years ago, when we were in Chicago, we were looking for a house. And we went to an open house, and there were several realtors there that were giving cards out. We hadn't decided on a realtor. And we met a man named Sean. He was amazing. You could tell he was a hard worker, did everything with excellence. And he was really fun. We laughed with him as we met him. And uh, my wife, Leah, said, I think we should have him be our realtor. And I said to her, well, hon, you, you realize that he's a homosexual. And she said, I think he should be our realtor. And uh, every good husband needs to listen to their wife, right? And so he became our realtor. We developed an, a, a really wonderful friendship as we would look at houses and connect. Why? Now, I'm a little odd, I'll, I'll admit. I'm a little odd. I would rather have a non-Christian be my realtor than a Christian. And I apologize. I'm sure you have great realtors right here in this room. They're fantastic. Please um, use them. But for me, I'm surrounded by Christians when I work. I need to build a relationship with people who don't know the Lord. So at one point, Sean says to us, we're getting ready to go in to see a house, and here's what he says. He says, Pastor Matt. I said, why are you calling me pastor? He said, you're my pastor. I said, yes, I'm your pastor. You don't even have to come to my church. If you ever need anything, I'm here. You call me, right? He said, Pastor Matt and Leah, I want to thank you for restoring my faith in people of faith. I'll say that again. Thank you for restoring my faith in people of faith. Sean knew what I believed, okay? I didn't have to tell him, but I could be kind to him. Fast forward 10 years later, Sean calls me on the phone. He says, Pastor Matt. I said, yeah, Sean. Are you still my pastor? I said, always, Sean. What's going on? He said, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I wonder if you would pray for me. And I said, yes, Sean, let's pray right now. And over the phone, I prayed with Sean. We began to text back and forth. How are you doing today? Well, it's a rough day. And we would pray. We would talk on the phone. And then Sean started fading. The cancer began to take him. And my wife and I talked, and she said, you need to go see Sean. And I said, you're right. And she bought him a gift. It was a beautiful candle. It had the wood wick, you know, the kind that crackles. So she wrapped it up in a, in a real nice bag. And I drove an hour and a half to get to his house, and I knocked on the door. And he opened the door, and he said, hey, my pastor is here. And his partner and his sister came, and I got to greet them. And we walked into the room, and I said, Leah has this gift for you. He opens it up and he says, go get, a, go get a match and let's light it now. I want to enjoy this. I want, I want Leah to know that I enjoyed her gift. And we sat and we talked for a little bit. And then I said, Sean, the reason I'm here is I want to pray that God would heal you. Is it okay if I do that? And he said, yes, pastor. I would love it if you prayed so I got down on my knees. He's sitting in the chair. I still remember. And I put my hand on his chest. And I began to pray, Jesus, 
you introduced yourself as the healer. I am the God that heals you. Pour your healing power into Sean today. Touch his body. Make him whole. Drive cancer from him in the name of Jesus. His partner is next to me on the floor with his hand on him praying to, weeping. You guys, I never could have had that beautiful opportunity if I'd have been a jerk. At the end of the prayer, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, Pastor Matt, I felt heat all over my chest while you were praying. And I said, Sean, that's the love and presence of God. He wants to heal you. He wants to touch you. And then I said, Sean, he also wants you to be able to live with him forever in heaven. And I would be wrong if I didn't tell you. It's as simple as saying, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Wouldn't you like to pray with me right now that prayer? Just receive the life and hope of Jesus. His partner was weeping next to me, saying, Sean, would you pray that prayer now? Just do it now, please, Sean. And Sean looked at him, looked at me, and said, you know, I'm not ready. Maybe I'll pray it later. But that moment was powerful. We have our Ninevehs, don't we? We have, you have people in your life right now that you think there's no hope for them. I want to tell you, you're wrong. There is hope. God wants to put you on a, on a path to reaching and transforming this whole community like you could never believe. And it all starts in listening to God as you listen to him and catch his compassion for your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates. This whole community can be turned upside down. And you're here and you wonder, well, what would I say? Just be compassionate. Just can I pray for you? Just step out. God says when you step out for him, he will literally give you the words to speak. That's what he wants to do in and through you. I believe it. That's part of listening to God and responding. Listen, what was the last thing Jesus said in the book of Matthew? He told Jonah to go, and he tells us to go. I want you to go into all the world and tell them this good news. Teaching them to follow and obey me, baptizing them, right? That's what he's already said. And when you respond to what he's already said, boom, other things are gonna start to open up, amen? Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for the way you communicate to us. We thank you that you came to rescue us, but that's not all you've come to do. Just like you spoke to Jonah's heart about things that needed to change inside him, you speak to us about areas of change within our heart as well. And you're calling us to be compassionate, to be compassionate for those in our world that have need. Lord, we thank you that we rest in your grace and we invite you to help us carry that grace to others. In Jesus' name, amen.